Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about on Monday, the 14th of November. I am Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Emma Gillespie, filling in for Jessie Stevens, who is writing her book and things this week. Voting is still open for the Australian Podcast Awards Listener's Choice category. It's the only one you can vote for. So if you're listening to this, hopefully you like us. You might want to vote via the link in the show notes. If you don't like us, don't worry about it. Please vote for us. I really want to win this time. Last year, my shoe broke at the event and it was honestly a relief that we didn't win because I would have had to hobble up shoeless. But this year, I'm going to be wearing good shoes. Yeah, awards are only good if you win them. Otherwise, they're terrible. It's hilarious. We've now stated so clearly how much we want to win. This is always my fear when you campaign hard for something. Whereas if we don't campaign hard, you're like, I didn't care. But now everyone will know how much we cared. It's vulnerability. Anyway... On today's show, what happens to the people we cancelled during the pandemic? Plus, what the choice of the latest man to play Prince Charles tells us about the relationship between the royals and the TV show The Crown, and what refusing to adopt new technologies at work really says about you. But first... In case you missed it, and I did miss it, because this story is my favourite of the week, Miss Argentina and Miss Puerto Rico have surprised everybody by announcing that they secretly got married to each other. They are both beauty queens. They competed against each other at the 2020 Miss Grand International Beauty Pageant and they both placed in the top 10, right? And then they had a bit of each other on their social feeds, you know, clearly they seem to be friends, but they have just posted synchronized reels showing their relationship and the proposal and them in their wedding outfits. And what I love about this story is the irony and just the deliciousness of two women falling in love at an event that was completely made for the male gaze. Yes. I didn't even know these things were still going on. Yeah. The idea of like the swimsuit and the sash and the all of that idea. And they fell in love and now they're married and I just love it. I love this story. A new male contraceptive procedure is on trial in Melbourne in the hope of one day being used as a temporary vasectomy. 25 men are taking part in the oh, world. Oh, women got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, who can blame you? You know, you hear contraception and you immediately exactly. think, ah, oh, my responsibility. <laughs> 25 men are taking part in this. It's a world first study. So they'll have hydrogel injected 
into some tubes in their bits that carry sperm. So it's an injection into the testy area, which might be uncomfortable, but have you ever had a marina inserted to stop the sperm from travelling to the testicles? So it's believed that, if effective, it will last for about two years and then it can be re-injected, offering an alternative to a standard vasectomy, which is intended to be permanent. They've so far performed the day procedure on four men at Epworth Freemasons Hospital in Melbourne, Participants will be monitored for three years, providing samples and undergoing regular health checks. Yesterday, on the cover of Stella, which is the magazine that comes free with the Sunday Telegraph or the Herald Sun in Victoria, a familiar face who's been a bit absent from the mainstream lately made her reappearance. Isabel Lucas is an Australian actress. She used to be on Home and Away back in the day. Then she was in some Hollywood movies. She was in Transformers and a few things. She's mates with the Hemsworths. And most recently, she's known really for her alternative lifestyle vibes. I put my alternative lifestyle in inverted commas. She lives in Byron Bay because of course she does. And in 2021, she made headlines for refusing to get a vaccine to work on a film set when an independent movie was being filmed up there. And she made appearances at protests against 5G towers and mandatory vaccinations. She's also a proponent of a lot of natural wellness remedies on her Instagram, including bee stings to boost immunity, for example. She was on the cover of Stella, alongside a cover line that read, what happens to the people we cancelled during the pandemic? And inside, she said a lot of things about her intuition and free thought and resisting government overreach, etc., etc. And this return from the mainstream wilderness made me think about what has happened to all those lines that we drew so firmly almost exactly a year ago. So one year ago in New South Wales, where we live, whether you were vaccinated or not dictated where you could go. This time last year, you had to show your vaccination certificate to get into a shop, a bar, a restaurant, and the unvaccinated had different rights. We scanned our government apps to get into places. We raged against our non-vax relatives' Christmas invitations about birthday dinners. And what I wanted to discuss after reading this piece on the weekend was, do we think those barriers have completely dissolved? Does it all just seem so far away now? For context, 97% of Australians have had at least one vaccine. Something like 72% have had their full allotment. So, It seems that the vaccinated have definitely won this particular culture war. Have we moved on and sort of forgotten all those wars we were having back then? I didn't forget it when I clicked on this story and found myself immediately irritated. I don't understand why she was interviewed except for the fact that she's very attractive and would look good on a magazine cover because she had nothing new or interesting to say despite the fact that the journalist stated that News Limited is a pro-vaccine publication and they have that stance and they asked her some questions, but she just sort of waffled about choice and bodily autonomy and just didn't mean anything because, you know, the idea of her protesting against mandatory vaccinations, there weren't mandatory vaccinations. No one's suggesting that people don't have bodily autonomy. If you wanted to do certain things you were asked to be vaccinated and... And work in certain jobs. And you had a choice. Did you want to work in that job or did you not want to work in that job at that time in that way? She's not someone who's had 
much of a career. Like she's not a prominent actress and hasn't been for a really long time. And so really all she's known for is the fact that she doesn't want to get vaccinated and that she thinks 5G towers are bad and, you know, all of this nonsense. And I just thought, what's the point? Like I haven't forgotten the people who didn't get vaccinated. Yeah, it felt very much like her saying, hey, I'm over here, don't forget about me, because I think there's been a shift in that a year ago we cared about anti-vaxxers as in we were so angry about anti-vaxxers and it felt like they were threatening our freedom that we wouldn't be able to get back to normal, that we wouldn't be able to see our loved ones for Christmas because of this loud minority and it was sort of scary and we didn't know which way the pendulum was going to swing in terms of how that would impact our lives. Mm. What's happened now is we've realised that they're such a small portion of the community And we don't care about them anymore. So rather than be angry at them, which, you know, this time a year ago I was, I was so angry at them. Why hold space for these people at all when they could just be nothing to you? But what when they're in your family? If high profile people did take that stance, and a lot did, some famous surfers and models and musicians and actors, do we punish them for it now? When it comes into real life, thinking about Christmas, I was remembering how fraught this was last year family members not being able to come, do we invite them this year? Yeah, of course. These people are in our families and in our friendship groups. Mm. Am I angry at them still? No, of course not. Do do I see them? Has all of that calmed right down? Absolutely. But I will not forget the people I know who didn't get vaxxed. I won't forget it. And I sort of compare it a little bit to if there's a fire in your town and everyone's asked to go and help put it out. Most people go and a few people say, no, I don't want to go. I'm scared or I don't like the fire or it's my choice not to put myself at risk. And afterwards, they still live in your town. But you just remember, I won't forget the people who chose to not do the thing that would benefit the wider community and instead banged on about choice but weren't prepared to support the most vulnerable people in our community because that's what it was. Most of us didn't get vaccinated for ourselves. We got vaccinated so kids could go back to school, businesses could open again, old age homes could have visitors again and immunocompromised people could be safer. I'm with you in that. I was disappointed to see an anti-vaxxer back in the discourse, like in this article on Sunday, and I thought maybe maybe there'd been some learnings and growth and maybe she was going to tell us that she was wrong or that there would be some kind of enlightenment at the end of it and it didn't really ever come but it is worth mentioning as we head into this sort of festive period COVID is back like New South Wales and Queensland have declared we're in our fourth wave and for better or for worse you know we're in the you do you phase so whether that means that we've forgotten about the anti-vaxxers or we've forgiven the anti-vaxxers or we just can't be bothered to stay mad at them they're the ones who will suffer if this next wave is significant in terms of a spike in cases. They're the ones who will be the sickest. Hi, Mama Mia. I just want to say I love your show, listening in the car, always from Perth. I love Amanda Keller. How great was she? Emotional, intelligent, smart, just absolutely loved her. I just think you guys are amazing. I really love listening to you and keep it up. You're amazing. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. 
That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. All I want to talk about is The Crown. I spent the weekend watching 10 hours of it. Wow. Did you? Did you watch did. it all? Me's I watched fantasy. it all. I started maybe on Thursday. I think I like watched a couple of episodes at a time. And then yesterday I'd watched about six hours of it. I got really, really into it. So but this season is about the unravelling of Charles and Diana? Yes, this season is about the 90s and particularly Annas Horribilius, I think it's called, of the Queen where three of her four children got divorced. One of her palaces burnt down and she had a really shit time of it. 1992 is not a year on which I shall look back with undiluted pleasure. It has turned out to be an Annas Horribilis. At the centre of all of this is Charles and Diana. And look, I love The Crown. It is a glorious piece of television. I enjoyed every moment of it, almost. But the casting of Dominic West as Prince Charles, I think, has really stuffed the season. What's this about us going home? It turns out there's a, a diary conflict through no fault of mine and I have to get back. We're supposed to be here for two weeks. Yes, we know, Plans change. Really? Why? No, I love it. Tell us why. The short version is he's too hot. Not just he's too hot, but he's also too, he's just the wrong kind of person. So what happens if you don't watch The Crown is that because it's over such a long period of time, it's over the Queen's sort of whole reign, which is 70 odd years. Every two seasons, they swap out the entire cast. This is the third and final time that the cast has been changed. And the new queen is an actress you'll recognise called Imelda Staunton. The new Diana is an Australian actress who is extraordinary called Elizabeth Debicki. And the new Charles is Dominic West, who I know his name. I know there's a bit of scandal around him. He sort of looks familiar to me, but I don't know what else he's been in. I think Hull. he was in The Wire. And I've got to tell you so many things about him. <laughs> so many things. Depending on your era, you might know him as McNulty in The Wire, which was the most critically acclaimed show, you know, of the noughties. And he was amazing and he was a heartthrob and all the rest of it. You might know him from The Affair, which is a very popular show in the last few years. Or you might know him from his apparent affair because he is known to be a bit of a dick, like a handsy, bit of an old school kind of guy, right? He is also a very posh dick. So he went to Eton, which is the most exclusive school in the UK. It's where Harry and William went. In 2013, he and Prince Harry hiked together to the South Pole for a charity cause for the Invictus Ah. Games. His wife, Catherine, is actually a Viscountess, which means she's an aristocrat, a very posh person, a lesser royal herself. She has an ancestral castle in Ireland that she and Dominic run as a posh hotel. And she is also, Catherine, a very fancy landscape expert. And King Charles, when he was Prince Charles, has had her do a few of his properties over the years. So they are friends. Oh, wow. That, I had no crazy, idea about man. this. What do you mean, Viscountess? It sounds like you're describing a Bridgerton season, Holly. Who did he have the affair with? 
So he didn't necessarily have an affair, but they were all over everything a couple of years ago because, and I wrote a story about this actually, we'll link to it in the show notes. There were some very possibly incriminating pack pictures of him on a set with the actress Lily James. They were filming in Italy and it appeared like they were canoodling. He was leaning over to her, whispering in her ear, pushing her hair out of her face. They were on a scooter together. They looked like they were very, they were very intimate pics. They were pap shots. And immediately everybody went into overdrive and said clearly they were having an affair. He immediately flew home to Catherine, his wife. They've been married for more than 20 years and they've known each other since they were at uni. They came out together and posed as a picture of unity in that way that like politicians do. And they put a (laughs) note on the front of their fancy house that said, thank you for your concern. We're very much together. Mind your own business, right? That's quite classy. I remember that. Yep, yep. At the time, I wrote a story saying that it was interesting how we'd all chosen to view this because I suspected a little bit down the line, we might find that Dominic West is just exactly that kind of guy who leans into a young actress and pushes her head. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. a bit inappropriate, handsy. It doesn't necessarily mean they're having an affair. And indeed, Lily James, the only time she's addressed it since was to say, yeah, young women can find themselves in slightly difficult situations when they're on the set with famous men. So he is known to be a bit of a dick. But what is fascinating to me about this is the fact that Dominic West has royal connections, which he does, he's mates with Prince Harry, his wife is mates with Prince Charles, just feeds into my theory that by this season of The Crown, season five, the royals who are still alive and kicking and having their lives depicted in it are actually quite happy about it. Because I think I've only watched one of season five so far, and I didn't mind the fact that Dominic West was hot. I think it adds a bit of a different kind of vibe to Prince Charles's story because having read the Palace Papers, that Tina Brown book, it's clear that, I mean, obviously he's not hot in any conventional sense. And in the last two seasons, he's been played as a real wet blanket by Josh O'Connor. But he's always been a bit of a philanderer, even with Camilla. He's never been very faithful. He's the kind of guy who has an aide who follows him around with the perfectly mixed martini. You know what I mean? Like he is charisma, power, that stuff. So I quite like the edge that a hot guy playing him brings to it. But My theory is that he approves of this and that Harry also, since he has a multi-million dollar deal with Netflix, kind of approves of it too. That Charles approves of Dominic West portraying him. Well, no, approves of the crown in general. Like, I think there's been a real push recently to say it has to be branded as fiction and Netflix have branded it as fiction because it's so insulting to the real people. But I actually think that a lot of the real people who are still around are kind of complicit in it. I disagree with you about most of what you just said. I think that Dominic West is not just too handsome to play Charles, but he's too alpha. He's got like a Russell Crowe energy about him which is like he's hyper-masculine, hyper-confident, huge presence when he walks in the room or on the screen, and that's just not Charles. And it's very distracting because it reads very differently if someone like that is having an affair as opposed to someone that you describe as the Dominic West real person is having an affair. And this talks a lot about his relationship with Camilla, who I have to say – their relationship comes across really well. She comes across better than anyone in the whole show because she's very down to earth, very no nonsense. She's always got a drink and a ciggy in her hand, no makeup. She's wearing wellies in most shots. It's like, it's very endearing. And 
Diana is just so brittle and the reason I don't think he's complicit in it is because part of it is it's a very sympathetic look at his relationship with Camilla but it also has this whole thing which John Major's come out and said is categorically untrue. He's come out and said this is really not true because there's this whole storyline about Charles trying to convince John Major to get rid of the Queen and install Charles, like pressure the Queen to abdicate and install Charles because Charles is basically twiddling his thumbs and he's heading towards 70. So that does not make Charles look very good. Holly, I like your theory because it's chaotic and I love goss, but I don't see how it could be legit. I just don't see how the royals could want to or be seen to endorse the crown in any way. What if it's that Dominic is just a skeezy dude who chose money and career over his friendship with Charles and maybe Charles is really mad at him? Even if he portrays the character well, it's not good for the royal family to have all of this stuff dredged up again. No, it's about not good Diana. to have Tampon Gate in the headlines. It's exactly. Not, oh, then no why way. does Prince Harry have a multi-million dollar deal with Netflix? Not a fan of the royal family. Did you miss that meeting? <laughs> but this is what I mean is I think like Prince Harry has said before that he doesn't mind the crown. He says it's fiction, but I'm much less offended by it than I am by tabloid news stories. That's what he said. And I think that's how the royal family in general feel about this show. So I kind of feel like I don't mean that I think that Charles loves it or anything, but I think that. By now, with all the hoo-ha about this show, if the royal family were absolutely furious about it, and by that I mean the ones who are still around, it probably wouldn't still be around. I don't agree. And the reason that I think that Harry likes it is because Diana's arc may as well be Meghan's. I mean, apart from the philandering Mm -hmm. husband, everything she says about being an outsider, not being accepted, her doing the Oprah interview is exactly parallel to Diana doing the Panorama interview and nobody knew and yep. the things that she said and the way the palace reacted. There's so much that's, you know, similar. But no, I think that Peter Morgan's been very outspoken about the fact that it's an independent thing and Netflix doesn't care what the royal family think. Peter Morgan doesn't mm. care what the royal family think. They are of the same ilk. The people who created that show and the people who it's about That's why it's so good. And that's why I don't think they're really that upset about it. I need you all week. I need you all the time. Oh, darling, I just want you. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for Mamma Mia subscribers. To get full access, follow the link in the show notes and a big thank you to all our current subscribers. I have a bone to pick with my older colleagues. Uh Uh-oh. Stop asking me to print. Stop it. (laughs) There's a very familiar trope within most workplaces and it goes something like this. Older employee says to younger employee, oh no, I don't know how to make this document a PDF. Can you do it for me? Or this file is too big to send. Can you make it a zip? I don't know how to do that. What is a zip? Or my personal favourite, I don't have access to the printer. Can you print something for me? In isolation, none of these requests are unreasonable. I want to make that very clear. Of course, from time to time, technology is not your friend. But when you resist new technology altogether, it says something about you. 
So the reason that I have been thinking about my rage about being made to do these light administrative tasks is because Anne Helen Peterson writes about this in her recent newsletter. Anne Helen Peterson is a very clever author, writer, journalist, commentator. She used to write about celebrity culture and she used to be a great writer at BuzzFeed. She now writes more about workplace culture. Anne Helen Peterson writes, You could say it's simple resistance to new technology, but that's a cop-out. Resisting new technology is itself a power move, a way to make other people do more work to compensate for the work you're not doing. If you refuse to Google the simple steps to save a file as a PDF and keep sending a file as a Word document, then someone else is spending their time downloading your file, saving as a PDF and resending it. She writes how avoiding using things like a digital calendar is a way to communicate your position of perceived power over other stuff. Now, some oh. people are really aware of this power play and actively avoid it. My friend Lee Campbell is a busy woman. She sometimes needs to print documents and her computer is not connected to the office printers. She's also not in the office that much. We don't have an IT person here on hand all the time. But Lee is so overly worried about seeming as though she's playing a status card when she asks me to print that every time I've ever printed for her, she has gifted me a beauty treat to say thank you. It's great for that me. That sounds like a good strategy on your part. Em. It is, it is, but highly unnecessary. Seems excessive. A little bit, but I will take the goodies. It's interesting, um, having just spoken about The Crown, there's an episode that's all about, I mean, there's so many metaphors in The Crown and that's all a bit heavy in this season, the metaphors, but one of them is that the Queen doesn't know how to use a remote control and William has to show her how to use a remote control. And I think this is something that will be really, really familiar to people, whether it's someone in your family or someone in your workplace who just doesn't know how to do something. And it does give work to other people. Yeah. It gives other people a job to do if you constantly have to ask them to fix your computer, help you attach a document to an email. But if you're open to learning, I think that's different. I think if it's coming up and saying, listen, can someone please, for the love of God, help me install the printers on my computer mm. so I can stop asking you this? I think that's different than the person that just goes, I don't need to learn how to do that because someone else will do it for me. I think it's really interesting, this idea of whether or not learning new technology if some people think it's beneath them. Because one of the many gifts that technology has given us is that we can all, in lots of different areas of our work lives and our personal lives, we can all do things that we couldn't do before. There did used to be entire jobs of people doing this kind of admin stuff in inverted commas that just don't exist anymore, you know. So if you say I'm not going to learn, because let's face it, for older people, and maybe not only older people, maybe some kind of personality types, getting your head around technology can be so frustrating, so annoying, so anxiety inducing that it just feels easier to go, no. But I'd never considered it being a power play before because I had sometimes thought, and I'm not talking about myself personally here, although I'm definitely guilty of that printing thing. Sometimes you think, is it worth my time to sit here and learn how to do this whole thing? when really I should be doing something more important, in inverted yeah. commas, therefore handing on this admin-y thing to somebody else is a power move. It always has been a power move, right? Does it remain so? The parallel I would draw, I think it's learned helplessness, and the parallel I would draw is in hetero relationships when you have a baby, a guy might say, 
I don't know how to change a nappy or oh, I don't know how to get them dressed and then the woman will go, oh, I'll just do it. It's quicker if I do it. Or I don't know how to make a bottle. I'll do it. It's quicker. That then becomes really convenient for the person who's not doing it. And I think that apart from just not being very fair to give someone else a job, because we're not just talking about delegating someone who's underneath you. We're talking about delegating to people who work alongside you at the same level that you don't have any right to delegate to them really. What it risks for you, the downside for you in the delegating is that you're going to get left behind and you don't want to not be self-sufficient in this world. Guess what? Technology is not going away. Email isn't going away. Neither is text. Neither is all of these different things. And I know it feels like a lot But that's kind of our job now. We all have to stay on top of these things so that we can be self-sufficient. And it's funny, you know, I'm the boss. I could get everyone to do everything for me, but sometimes I do. But I am the first one to jump in and do something, learn how to use an email sending piece of software, for example. Yeah, because I think you're conscious of your presence in the office as, you know. No, because it's because I want control. I don't want to have to wait for anyone else. Yeah. Who wants to be powerless and it's like, oh, I want to print, but I can't because I don't know how. It's yeah. like, teach I was gonna how say, to print. Yeah, I was going to say that, that I don't necessarily think, and I don't want to sound too harsh, like I think a lot of people are not actively, consciously aware that they are doing this, but maybe they are to, to their colleagues. But also when, Mia, you're talking then about the stuff with babies, I am such a micromanagey person sometimes and a bit of a control freak and yeah, in my relationship, if Alex is like, I'll cook this thing, you just have to show me how to do it. And I'll mm-hmm. give him five seconds and I will loathe the way that he's chopping the onion. And I just think, I love you, but leave it alone and I'll do it because I'll do it way faster. Oh, you need to sort that shit out, Em. Okay, here's a question. You know, we all have people or we know people. And Mia, you've interviewed some very successful people actually who say this. I don't want to be part of that modern world. I think you were interviewing, was it Camilla, the fashion designer, who said she doesn't even use yes. email? You know, we all would have a couple of people in our lives who are like, I don't want an iPhone. I don't want to be a slave to my phone. I don't want this. I don't want that. And surely that's a choice you're allowed to make to opt out of the technological reality of modern life. But then you can't moan about being left behind. Am I right? You also can't expect everybody to accommodate you all the time. It's like I have this some with some friends, not so much now, but who I would text them and they would ring me back because they didn't like to text and That's I suppose, you know, you're talking about two different people's preferences, so who wins? But I just think that you can't necessarily expect, I mean, Camilla could do that because she's the head of the company and people will work around her. And I know celebrities who are like, I'm not on social media. I don't have technology. I don't own a computer. I was reading about a comedian the other day, Janine Garofalo. Do you remember her from Reality Bites? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. She's now doing this stand-up tour. She doesn't have an email address, a mobile phone or a computer. Wow. I just don't understand how you live in this world and how difficult you make it, not just for yourself but for everybody around you. Is she a criminal? Is she running? That's She just doesn't want to. She just is like, and that's a massive power move it's like everyone has that one friend or at least for me like Facebook events are the hub of how we organize our social calendar if someone's going to have a birthday celebration if we're getting together for an end of year thing Mm. it's going to be a Facebook event and there's always that one friend that somebody has to remember oh they deleted their Facebook so make sure so and so messages such and such with the details of that event (laughs) and I can understand exactly like you say it's your right to not be on social media Mm. but then don't get the shits if you don't get invited and there is a power move in that too it's like 
the bane of lots of parents will recognize this the bane of being like the organizer of the sporting team and you say we're going to have a whatsapp group and there'll always be someone who says and we all know there are too many WhatsApp groups in our lives, but there'll always be someone who says, I'm sorry, I don't do WhatsApp. Can we do Messenger, right? And then Get over who, gets to, who gets to win yeah. that argument? That's, this is true. I'm suddenly seeing all the power plays in this I didn't see before. Yeah, Out loud as we want to hear from you. People. Are you allowed to opt out of learning new technology without appearing like a power playing dickhead? That's what we want to know out loud as tell us. I have a reco that is a personal recommendation, and that is that you have a marriage sabbatical. Anyone who is married (laughs) or in a long-term relationship, I would like to recommend a marriage sabbatical. And if you want to know how, if you want to know what one is, if you want to know how to ask for one, there is an episode of The Quickie today where Esther Perel, who is such a, a phenomenal relationships author and expert, She talks about the rise of the marriage sabbatical. It's something that I did in my relationship this year. And, you know, because I'm a basic bitch, I thought it was just me. But since COVID, there's been an absolute spike in divorces, but also a spike in marriage sabbaticals. And a marriage sabbatical is exactly what it sounds like. It's like the kind of sabbatical you would have from work, but you have it from your marriage. Now, it's not a trial separation. It's not a free pass to go and, you know, go wild for a few months. It's actually just a time, a period of time, usually around six weeks, but it can be however long and short as you want, where you spend time physically apart from your partner in different places. So it might be that you're having an accidental one because you're in different places for work or because you intentionally proactively do it. It's great. It was great for us. Esther talks about in the episode of the quickie she talks about how to raise it we have a foundation we trust each other we know we want to be here and we each need some fresh air we each need to experience ourselves separately from the the structure of our relationship and we will be back that has nothing to do with not wanting to be together wanting to divorce if you really talk about i need my six weeks off then we're not talking about divorce. We're just saying, I need to re-experience myself separately from our togetherness. The other thing that we know is that marriage sabbaticals are much more meaningful and helpful for women and necessary than they are for men because we know that women have most of the caretaking responsibilities in our society, so they might be harder for a woman to engineer But marriage overall is better for men than it is for women. Every study shows Uh that married men live longer than single men. They're healthier than single men. They have better mental health than single men. And it's the opposite for married women. And so that's why it'll often be up to the woman to initiate. It wasn't the case in my marriage, but have a listen. I'm interviewed on it. If you want a bit of a sneak peek into my marriage, you can have a listen to that as well. Thank you for listening to Mama Mia Out Loud today. The episode is produced by Emma Gillespie, who's obviously also hosting. Thank you, Em, for doing Thank double duty. You. With audio production by Leah Porges and assistant production from Susanna Makin. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Big thanks to anyone listening who has become a Mama Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes.